Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, this is the Interpreter's Workshop Podcast. I'm Tim Curry, your host. Here we talk everything sign language interpreting. The ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, the sideways of interpreting. If you're a student, a new interpreter, experienced interpreter, this is the place for you. If you want to know more, go to interpretersworkshop.com. Let's start talking interpreting. And now, the quote of the day by Kate Bornstein, American author and playwright. Let's stop tolerating or accepting difference, as if we're so much better for not being different in the first place. Instead, let's celebrate difference, because in this world it takes a lot of guts to be different. Interpreters need to be different. We need to have differences of opinions. We need to have differences in language because the communities that we serve have differences too. And it's all about access. In today's episode, we continue the discussion with Dr. Cormac Leonard. He brings out the point of accessibility. Are we giving access? Can we give access? All of these points and more he delivers including how his research can influence us. Let's get started. Cormac, let's start with word association. As I have with other guests, I will give you a word or a concept or an idea, and you give me whatever comes to your mind, whether it's a story or one word, a feeling. Okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's start. The first word, comfort food. Please. <laughs> that was, please give me comfort food. Beautiful. Okay. Right. Let me go on a tangent now from comfort food. Mm-hmm. You recently got married and I know that you're going to be traveling for your honeymoon. Tell us about this special place and why you're going there. Okay. So we are going for six weeks travel to Korea and Japan. Wow. Most of the time will be in South, South Korea. And I think we had this idea in our heads before we found out that Wasley was going to be held there WFD. So, you know, as any couple going on their honeymoon would do, we decided to go to a work conference mm-hmm. together. Of course. And uh, <laughs> ah. So, yeah, so that's, that's one of the reasons we're going. I mean, one of the other reasons is that both of us have just wanted to kind of travel together for a while and COVID obviously has, has happened. Mm-hmm. So this is our chance to really do an extended bit of travel and Korea just appealed because the food aspect of things for me, the street food aspect of things for me, is this is, I think many of us got into this, this habit during lockdown of just watching YouTube videos that were more or less mindless or whatever. So I just got into watching videos of Korean street food and it looks absolutely delicious. You don't have an awful lot of Korean restaurants in, certainly in Drogheda where I'm living. So this is one thing we're really, really looking forward to. So yes, uh, Korea, we're going to go over to Japan for a couple of weeks as well. And that's going to be finished off by um, a visit to Wasley to see colleagues of mine from, from all over the world. We have a small Irish team that are going to be over there as well. So we're currently preparing and learning very unsuccessfully to learn a bit of the language. I just about have Hangul, the alphabet, memorized. So I'll be able to read out words that I do not understand. So that's 
halfway there. So going there for the comfort food and going to WASLI, the World Association of Sign Language Interpreters Conference. That's nice. And of course, WFD, World Federation of the Deaf, all at the same time. We're, we're not going to have time to make all of WFD, but uh, definitely we'll, we're making time to go to Jeju Island and see what's going on for WASLI. And then yeah. a couple more days and then we fly home. So Yeah, beautiful. Okay, the next word, magic. I was going to say Johnson, but um, probably it should be, it should be, if it's really free word associations, Magic Johnson. Yes. Um, magic, this is not a one word response, but it's the feeling you get when you've done a good job mm -hmm. and you know that you have done your bit in terms of inclusion when the deaf person you, you, that you've worked with feels part of whatever event it is, or simi similarly that the hearing person feels part of that deaf event. Uh, that to me is magic. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Magic Johnson was an American basketball player. Okay. <laughs> and I know nothing about American basketball, but <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyway. I'm more of a baseball fan. Okay. Next interpreter access, even though and I'm thinking that, and I've already got all these codicils coming up in my head saying, well, because this is this is the long-winded answer. A lot of academic work in the last while that I really like has been looking at that idea that an interpreter does not necessarily mean access, done and dusted, full stop, mm -hmm. um, because of all these different reasons, because of the need for language concordance services, because the interpreter, as I say, is imperfect technology. We've got a limited brain. However, what I think we should still strive for is to provide access. Hmm, lovely. Next, professionalism. Preparation, um, which is my perhaps slightly reductive take on it. But again, I think it's part and parcel of it. I'd say presentate, I'd say preparation and soft skills. Mm -hmm. Soft skills I'm still working on day by day. Preparation I do quite a lot. But yeah, I think you need both. You need to kind of come to an event mm -hmm. prepared and ready to go. But when you're at that event, dealing with the people involved, that is really, really crucial. And I'm realizing that more and more as I go through my profession, definitely. Yeah. Soft skills as in uh, interacting with people, those those skills. Absolutely. You know, when, when they just won't give you the PowerPoint and you need to use those soft skills to get at least some indication of what you're going to be talking about today, mm -hmm. those soft skills are really, really important. Yeah. yeah. Next, heartbreaking. Um, I suppose denial of access is what pops into my head thinking about times that working with deaf people where things weren't accessible for various reasons, mm -hmm. whether it's to do with interpretation or whether it's to do with their life experiences, their education, particularly mm -hmm. where, and again, it goes back to that idea of the interpreter being there does not make something accessible, but where you're, where you're in a situation and you realize that there are still issues here that you're not going to be able to solve yourself. Therefore, whatever is going on is not accessible by the deaf person. That to me is heartbreaking because it's beyond the scope of what I can do. Yeah. Okay. And community. I don't think of a word. You know what? You just said community and I didn't think of a word. I thought of a sign, right? And it's weird because that sign, which is like lots of people in a room all signing, signing with each other. Um, because I think of community, I think of deaf community and I think, to me, the essence of the deaf community is when you have so many people in the community getting together and just you look across that room or that venue and you see that 
people connecting, people catching up, people laughing, people trading gossip, people connecting and communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that is community. I think as well about interpreting and how we would often do the same yeah. um, after a face-to-face meeting. And we haven't had that many of those the last couple of years, but hopefully we will more and more. Mm-hmm. Community, yeah, yeah, to me is, is that. Yeah, connecting with others, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It was just one other thing I wanted to say. I think historically in Ireland, we've been a little bit stuck, not, not necessarily in a negative way, but because of the fact we're an English-speaking country, obviously we have the Irish language and, and also Irish Sign Language, which is now a recognized language in the country. Mm-hmm. But we have easier access to the US and the UK in terms of uh specifically to the interpreting to do with CPD, to do with training materials, to do with the literature. Mm-hmm. But that has also meant that we have a lot of influence. So there's a lot of influence on ISL from BSL and ASL. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because of social media, but it's also because Britain is right next door. Yeah, A lot of Irish people would have studied in Britain or studied in America. They would have brought those vocabulary items back Mm -hmm. you've got this constant thing now for isl interpreters of a sign being considered to be bsl or asl and um again that happens very frequently but i think when it comes to cpd it can be a sense since covid especially of there's lots of cpd available online Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is geared towards british contexts or american contexts or canadian yes and we've kind of moved a little bit away from providing our own CPD about Ireland and Irish situations. Mm-hmm. And I think the great, the great thing is, is the availability of the CPD that you didn't have five years ago. But um, we do need to think of, about what is going on for Ireland, what is going on for the Irish deaf community, our CPD needs rather than just, you can get that elsewhere. Yeah. So yeah, that's another issue as well. We're, we're a small country, a very small language community um, in terms of ISL. And we have massive, very influential neighbors either side of us, which is, mm-hmm. you know, positive and negative. Yeah, exactly. Continuing professional development or CPD is always an issue, I think, in every country. It's nice that you you have those resources around you, but it's not specific to your culture, to your languages. But in, the, in that sense, we're probably a lot more fortunate than other mm, smaller countries and smaller language communities. Yeah. Ireland's interpreting profession... Uh, as, as well has become more diverse and needs to become more, more diverse. So we have a lot of um, deaf people both coming into the country and people who have been here for many years who are who are people of colour mm-hmm. and who, need, who needs to be in some spaces represented in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of discussion in the last year or so among interpreters about that. So discussions of neurodivergency within the interpreting profession interpreters who are hard of hearing or who have hearing difficulties themselves as opposed to deaf interpreters as such also i think one issue that again i'm fairly confident i can say affects everyone in in, in the world is our profession is uh, it's overwhelmingly white female and there have been a lot of situations personally that i've been in over the last couple of years where um a male interpreter was necessary and was something that you know, it was, was requested specifically by deaf male patients or service users. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, I mean, I'd hesitate to say that there hasn't been any moves by Sisley, for example, to get people into the profession, mm-hmm. but it's something that as a very small voluntary organization, we haven't really had any efforts to kind of reach out to communities of people like mm-hmm. CODAs or school leavers. But I think when, as and when we, we do that, 
we also need to be approaching people of color. We need to be approaching male, um, you know, mm-hmm. men and, and saying, look, this is an equally valid profession for you as well. We need to be kind of reaching everyone in that way um, and making sure that our profession represents the people that we work with. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's an issue everywhere. And we have to think of, does a person of color, for example, want to become an interpreter? Well, they need to see role models as well. Absolutely. And I think that can work the other way around as well. So I, I think that people of color coming into the deaf interpreting wing of their profession also creates a vis- visibility that hearing people of color can then see and say, oh, this 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 is something that, that I can do. And I think that we will definitely see that, yeah. uh, that happening, which is fantastic. So please be a role model for your colleagues. Share this podcast by clicking on the links in the show notes to share the diverse knowledge from around the world. Thank you. Let's go back to our Irish colleague. So let me ask you two questions as we're about to say goodbye. The first one, in your experience as an interpreter, as an interpreter trainer even, what would you tell interpreters to stop doing or to change? Um, For new interpreters, I guess a big thing for me has been not so much about student interpreters, but recently qualified interpreters. And I think the first couple of years of your practice are really, really crucial. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're kind of addressed systematically or structurally in ways that they should be in terms of mentoring, in terms of um, the decision-making processes when you're offered work. So I suppose what I'd like to change is that something is put in place by interpreters themselves or probably by interpreters themselves with, with support from the, the, the state or deaf organizations to, to create a path for new interpreters in terms of skills progression, in terms of feedback, mm-hmm. so that they have that hand to hold as they start this walk. Mm-hmm. I think without that, you can, you can devolve. I think your skills can devolve. I think your decision-making can be affected mm-hmm. without that guidance. Um, so that's one thing I would like to see changed in terms in terms of interpreting interpreters themselves and their decisions. Maybe to think more about should this be something I am doing? Should would this be better done by a deaf person, a deaf interpreter? But also to think more widely and to think is just having an interpreter in this situation going to going to solve things? Uh, is it a case of me just doing my best and then not that not being great? But it's all we can do. Or is just something structurally or systematically have to change to make that fulfill its objective to, to be accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like that kind of reflective thinking more on the part of newer and older interpreters. And it's something I need to remind myself to do a lot more often as well. Yeah. So as a researcher, what advice would you give to interpreters based on your research? Hmm. That is a tricky one. And I've often thought about this because if you're looking at interpreting 150 years ago, mm-hmm. one of the first things people would ask is, you know, have, what have you learned? And because it's such a different world back then, mm-hmm. without any standards, without any interpreter training, without any knowledge of what an interpreter was supposed to do, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to extract many lessons from it other than, God, aren't we lucky that things are better now? But <laughs> I, I often think that's been unsatisfying. So I would say one thing I do notice is sometimes the stronger connections between people who interpreted in courts and the people they were interpreting for. 
And I think sometimes when you go the other extreme, I mean, obviously there's there's risks, there's massive risk having your brother interpret for you or your sister or your or your your son or your daughter. Mm-hmm. But the other extreme of that is also something I came across, which is a policeman coming in. I don't know this person, and I'm just going to do something that isn't accessible. Mm-hmm. So I think the lesson for me is we need to know our community because I've seen so many examples where the judiciary, barristers, solicitors police, other defendants, they knew, or other, other complainants or defendants, they knew nothing about deaf people, they knew nothing about their use of language, mm-hmm. the multi-layered nature of the deaf community, especially in Ireland, which is so much diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just about, the lesson would be, know your history in the sense of know why there is that diversity in Ireland and why that diversity is still increasing. We're, ha- we're having new people coming into Ireland and new aspects to our sign language we need to keep on top of that we need to be representative of that in the profession but also that we we connect with the history of our country in that sense the history of the deaf community i think deaf history in an irish context is not something that's an optional extra something for other interpreters or other people to know about it's something that does affect us we don't often think of the 1960s and 70s as history I always have a bit of a freak out when I see some new book about the history of the 1980s. I'm like, hang on a second. I was alive during the 1980s. <laughs> but like for us, for what we do in order to get a linguistic profile of the people we work with, in order to improve our skills, mm-hmm. we need to know our history, educational history, community history of the deaf community that we that we work within. So I think that would be the first thing would be not, not quite read my thesis, but read <laughs> Go, you know, because I wouldn't recommend anyone read that. It's it's, it's very very detailed. But um, <laughs> go go to presentations, read up, um, talk to deaf people who have been around for a while, have that history straight in your head because it's really one of the key ways we can tap into the culture of the people that we're working for and with. Yeah, thank you very much, Cormac. No problem at all. I will see you soon. I hope that's great. See you soon. Thank you so much for this. Take care. You too. So much information in this episode. Let me try to summarize all the points so we have it clear on our heads what Cormac gave us. 1. Access. Can we as interpreters truly strive for that goal? Can we give full access? I'm not sure. We'll let the researchers try to determine that for us. However, it's a good goal for us to reach. Getting back to the basics. Realizing that to do a good job means that everyone involved in the situation feels as though they were a part of that situation, that they were the ones communicating. And that means we have to improve our skills at preparing for the job. We need to prepare as much as we can to handle any possibility during that situation. And that includes our soft skills our professional skills, how we interact, how we communicate with people, how we ask for the information we need to do our job well. In other words, how do we communicate and form a professional relationship with those involved so that they have trust in our work, in our expertise as an interpreter, they can rely on us, they can understand how the situation will be influenced with an interpreter there. And how do we work on those skills? Well, ongoing education. 
you hear it a lot, but take workshops, go to conferences, meet with a mentor, discuss your work with a colleague, perhaps you were team interpreting, talk about it afterwards. Even if it's not right afterwards, meet again later and discuss what happened, how you made decisions. That in itself will help us improve and reflect on our work. Another point is that we need role models in our profession for each other and for the communities we serve. We have such a diverse community of interpreters and a diverse community that we serve, hearing and deaf, that we need to make decisions appropriately to figure out who is best to strive for access in each situation for the people who are really there. And that means we need to strive to encourage people of all walks of life to be a part of the profession, deaf and hearing interpreters, to help us provide even better access. And let's go back a little bit to the advice that Cormac gives to new interpreters. And actually, it's a two-sided piece of advice. One, for the new interpreters, they need to remember that the first couple of years of their profession is very crucial to their development. If they have a good support system of mentors, of colleagues, of the deaf community, that support system will help them build on the skills that they have now to develop into a, a better interpreter later. If they do not have such a support system, then their skills can start to devolve to decrease or to go on the wrong path. And the other side of that is those of us in the profession already need to remember that and we need to provide the proper support. How do we do that? Through our organizations, through the education system, through having respect for our colleagues, enough respect to give them advice along the way. Part of that advice is reflective thinking about our work, our decisions, how we handle ethics, how we view ethics, and how we view the communities, how we are involved in the community. And that allows us to make decisions about who is best for the job. Perhaps better access means no interpreter at all, or which interpreter, a hearing interpreter, a deaf interpreter, and many, many more questions like that. And the last point I want to emphasize connects to Cormac's wonderful research into the history of our profession and the communities we serve. He said, know your history, know the history because that taps into the culture of the people that we work with. We need to really know the history, not just our opinion about the history or what we think the history is, but actually learn the history. One of those ways is to ask the deaf community, what was it like so many years ago when you had to use an interpreter? How does that compare to now? How is your life different today than it was then using interpreter services? And then ask experienced interpreters, what was it like when you first started compared to today? All of those questions help us learn more about how we are striving to reach different goals. It also tells us where we should go compared to where we've been. So let's strive 
for better access. And let's try to make it feel magical. Hmm. Keep calm. Keep interpreting differently. I'll see you next week. Take care now.